Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Anthropological. Why is it special? Because this time we have the author of Tuxedo Unmasked, a very popular Sailor Moon blog that answers so many questions that I didn't even know that I had about Sailor Moon. We have Jason with us. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, actually. I'm in the lovely city of Yokohama, looking out right at the skyline. It's pretty amazing right now. That's unrelated to the blog, by the way, but, you know, <laughs> good place to be, and I'm talking to wonderful people. Couldn't be much better. Well, thank you. I was actually going to ask, does Yokohama, there, there are many areas in Japan that show up in Sailor Moon, because that's probably what we'll be talking about a lot today. Is, does Yokohama show up anywhere in the anime or the manga? You know, you could argue that it does because, and I think it's episode 11, they go to Dreamland. And Dreamland is most likely named after the Japanese Yume Rando park that existed in the, I want to say, late 80s or early 90s. Actually, it goes back to like 70s. But anyway, <laughs> um, so it's based pretty much off of those real world theme parks. And the one in Yokohama actually closed down. But you know, you could probably argue that's the one that's based on design wise. There are actually a lot of like components that appear in the episode as well. So long story short, yes, it actually does in some <laughs> small way appear in the anime. The more, you know, it's almost like I wrote a blog entry about this weird. Uh, well, as you're talking about it, I was like, I do remember you talking about dreamland, but I wouldn't have remembered that it was from Yokohama. Probably, you know, if you don't live in Japan, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> You've been a fan of Sailor Moon for a long time. Uh, Good God, yes. Uh, you went to the effort of saying on your boat page on Tuxedo Unmasked, 1997 to be exact. What happened in 1997? What went down? Well, um, that starts as a dark story and it gets better, I promise. So in 1997 is when my parents separated. And that was like, you know, obviously I was about 11 at the time. It was a tough time in my life. And I happened to run across the like syndication episodes airing of sailor moon just one day like completely at random and i saw an episode i was like this this is pretty cool and i watched it again the next day and the next day and the more i watched more i just started to completely fall in love with this story and it became like a really like important part of my life at that time because you know i was going through a lot a lot of things were going on and just this engrossing story about i mean a screw up kid who can't do right. And she's actually doing okay. So, uh, that was kind of how, like, I know exactly when I first started to watch it. Uh, and then they took it off the air and I was like, wait, wait, what, (laughs) (laughs) what what happened next? But anyway, yes, that's why I know it was exactly. Okay. That just kind of left out to me because, uh, I interviewed somebody else earlier this week and they were like, this is exactly when it's like, how do you know that? One of those, bizarre moments in life where you like look at where you were in your life and where it went and you're like you know what that's it's an important time for me you might want to remember that i mean obviously it was at a, uh, a very pivotal point in your life and mm. it kind of struck a chord and then syndication ended yep but you you were still interested well i mean it ended like right in the middle of the story <laughs> like what happens next you know i mean this is like 97 like we don't have like google you can't just like, sit down and type in what happened next. And also I didn't actually know it was anime at the time. I thought it was an American cartoon series. I become obsessed with finding out like what happened next. So I had called around to every single blockbuster, like video rental chain in the city, like opening a phone book. This is 97 people. And like, I had a phone book in front of me and I was calling every single one asking if they have tapes with episodes. That's how I found out and finally watched the rest of the series. That is that is so 90s, by the way. I also grew up in the 90s. I didn't do that, but I am aware oh, yeah, of what yeah. a phone book is <laughs> and how it is used. I was wondering, you know, you're trying to find as much information as you can. You're calling around to different places. Did you ever come across, I know the, the internet wasn't, wasn't what it is now then, uh, but did you ever come across Sailor Moon Uncensored? You know, I found that website, I want to say... More like in the late 90s, it was probably like 98, 99 or so. And that was like a really eye-opening experience because like when I first found out about the series and I started to learn about information available online about the American series, and then slowly you start to like find like hints and rumors here and there around on different websites. They're like, oh yeah, in the Japanese version. Like, Japanese version? What 
what is this Japanese version you speak of? And, you know, you read more and then you read about a different fan sites where they provide information. And like most of it was completely made up. And I don't know where these people got that information from. It was pretty awful. You know, you hear about the solar nights and all this other stuff. And you're like, oh my God, there are like male characters in the series. And like, no, no, it's just a fanfic. But nobody tells you that. I eventually found the Sailor Moon Uncensored website. And that was just amazing to run across because you could actually find reliable information comparing the episodes I've already seen and what was really supposed to be there. At this point in your life, it, it sounds like it was a lot of like solo investigation like it's just you you're really interested in the show was there ever a point where that kind of like branched out pre-blog but post discovering sailor moon probably i mean like really early internet again like and this to go on a slight tangent here i've been a fan of the series for about 21 years now and looking at the analytics of my blog there are readers of my blog who were not even alive when i first discovered sailor moon and I can't tell you how odd that feels to know that like a person reading what I'm saying didn't exist when I first saw the show. Yeah, so the internet, again, was a little bit different back then. So community sites, like forums and stuff, weren't really such a thing back then. But there were chat rooms. I belonged to a bunch of different Sailor Moon chat rooms. Um, probably the biggest community that I was a part of was the um, a Sailor Moon Romance, ASMR, as it was known. I was a huge fanfic archive. Um, Anyone back in the day would have known about it, but now anyway, it's kind of disappeared. I think there's a fandom wiki out there you must have run across in your research. It's just about fandoms in general. Like the fandom wiki? Yeah, 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 that. Um, anyway, ASMR has a... Oh my god, it's amazing. Um, in fact, my brother is listed on there, um, though I am sworn to secrecy as to what his name was. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he was a fan fiction author in the day which is why I knew about the ASMR page. That was probably the biggest community I was on. I was actually a moderator on that message board for, I want to say about two or three years. I met a lot of people. Um, I'm actually still friends with some of the people that I met on the board. I've actually gone out across to London where one of my friends lived and like stayed at their house for about a week. We hung out. and So I formed a lot of relationships through that. And then after that, I was never big on mailing lists but i did create my own fan fiction website which lasted for about six years and i had a forum on that that i kept in touch with a lot of people through so I mean, there was some community stuff what was the what was the personal site that you'd uh oh the uh, blog fan, yeah, not sorry, blog, fan fiction site fan fiction that was moonlit nights i think it was dot org um but i have since let the domain lapse and i think someone actually picked it up and was recreating it last I checked. Oh my god, someone actually did pick up the domain. Wow. Can't believe this is like some early 2000 website design. Look at me. Wow. Yeah, somebody got the uh, magic wand tool and uh, definitely removed the background from, um, was that uh, Hotaru and uh, I'm bad with uh, Chibiusa. Chibiusa, yep. You know, yep. Yeah, it looks like Dojinshi fan art. And then they uh, imposed a, a superimposed a moon in the background. But anyway, that was uh, what I've been doing. And then I want to say about after 2006, 2007, I'd, actually 2008, I graduated from university and moved to Japan. So I got really busy and kind of fell out of the community for maybe seven, eight years. If you read the game for so long, what brought you back in? Let me see. Well, I'd actually was 29 at the time and about to turn 30. And as everyone does when you're about to turn into a new decade and you go through this crisis of, oh my God, what have I done with my life? I started to look back and I thought like, you know, I really like want to do something new and I want to do a creative project. And I kind of feel like I want to take advantage of the knowledge and information I have to maybe share things with other people. And I work as a translator in my day job. Uh, so I do have some knowledge of Japanese, I hope. Uh, and also, <laughs> by nature of my job, because like, I worked in legal translation, like we had to translate like contracts, you know, like legal negotiations and stuff like that. So a lot of my job involves really thorough and in-depth research. So I thought, I mean, I would love to combine those two things. And then I kind of just thought about like, when I first got into anime, like what excited me about it? And I remembered 
what excited me most about it was spending those hours upon hours trying to like find out these answers to all these like things that just didn't make sense to me in the series. And I thought, you know, I kind of, I would like to go back and answer those questions for 12 year old Jason, basically. So while I'm pretend that I'm here, like writing answers and like solving riddles and whatever for all the readers of the site, I mean, really, I'm just looking at like, what did 12 year old Jason want to know about? Like what, what can I give to him? Cause I feel like he deserved it. So a lot of these questions are questions I've had for like decades now. And now you have the opportunity to uh, find the yeah. answers. To do it. Right. So that's kind of why in 2015, November 1st, the blog launched, but actually it started out as two other different ideas before I settled on what it is now. The first one was actually very similar to what you do. And I was actually going to interview fans of the, of Sailor Moon who were influential, well, influential, you know, in air quotes, um, back in the nineties and early two thousands. And I wanted to know like, where are they now? Like, what was their inspiration for getting into Sailor Moon back in the nineties? And how has it impacted their lives and brought them to where they are now? So like, what is it? Hitoshi Doi was the guy who was the Japanese web developer, I think. But he wrote all these like really detailed summaries of every single episode in the early, I mean, the late nineties. And I mean, that was like a huge like help to people in the fan community because like you get these episode reviews. And then I think it's, what was it? Kurozuki is the one who did the manga. Well, they weren't translations per se, but they were summaries of every manga volume. And I mean, that with those weren't there, like nobody would have known what happened in the manga up until like the actual official releases came out. So I kind of wanted to track these people down. I wanted to find out like what brought you into this in the first place? Like what was your inspiration and where did you go from there? I mean, why did you just like disappear? So I kind of wanted to follow up with all these people who were in the community. And then I found out it's actually really hard to get in touch with. (laughs) So I was like, well, that was an interesting idea. Um, However, after about 40 emails, three replies later, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to try something different. This is where I settled on this whole like answering questions. I actually have a question for both present Jason and 12 year old Jason. Oh, he was adorable. He probably would have no idea where I am now. (laughs) <laughs> as in he doesn't know that japan is a country or as in like he was probably thinking like oh i'm gonna be a game developer and i'm gonna be living up and watching anime every day and i'm like no not kid i just go to starbucks and i read books <laughs> uh, sorry man classic 12 year olds uh no my life isn't as interesting as it sounds i translate contracts man <laughs> it's not not what he expected but yeah it's fun so anyway yes your question i was going to ask uh, to to both present and past, Jason, you're a huge fan of Sailor Moon. You've mm. got to have a favorite character. I do. And it's tough because you want to love them all. Like I know, like anytime you ask, like Naoko or any of the other like people big in the industry, they're always like, "Oh no, I love everybody." And I'm going to be honest, that's not true. Everybody <laughs> has a favorite child. I'm a child of four, like four children in my family. We all know there's a favorite, and I like to pretend it's me. But I have to say. Usagi, though great she may be, she kind of has a little bit of that main character syndrome complex going on. Yeah, protagonitis. Exactly. You know, she's like, she's great, but she's also kind of like, too great? So as much as I like her, and as great as she is, I would have to say I like Hotaru on principle, because she's a really exciting, interesting character. But by virtue of the fact that she really doesn't get much screen time, it's kind of hard to really like wonder how much do you like her and how much do you like make up in your head that you like her. <laughs> so I'd have to default for Ray Sailor Mars for two reasons: one, because like I think her personality is interesting, and two, because she's so different between the anime and the manga. See, I was actually going to ask exactly that because the Ray in the manga is very kind of like dignified and mm. uh, I think a stare and right. in the anime, it's like, she's the bickering unofficial sister to Usagi. And she's like the gag character, basically. That's yeah. What she gets turned into in a lot of episodes. And you know, that's actually what I like about the character is because you get to see like two different sides of her, even though they technically are two completely different sides of her. 
and they're not canon in any way, but you get to see like the same character from different points of view. And it kind of like gives you more of a, like there's more to see in my opinion, I think, which is actually why I like her character. So really quick, I do have to ask, do you have any background or familiarity with Sailor Moon? Cause otherwise like, I don't want to get like too inside baseball on some of these. <laughs> Cause like it can get hardcore behind me somewhere in this mess of books. I have all the, the Sailor Moon manga, the, uh, English releases the side stories uh, behind my head is all the DVD releases of the series. I haven't seen all of it though. Oh, wow. Uh, and out of curiosity, I do have to ask which version of the manga is it? Uh, the Kodansha. Oh, oh sorry. Okay, it's, it's, the, it. it's the re-released version. Oh, this is the, Oh no, it's the Kodansha version. Yeah, I was sorry. just curious about the translation. Yeah. Uh, it's oh. yeah. So it's not the, not the first not the, edition, the old school Tokyo pop one. Yeah, no, 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 no. Tokyo Pop, that's a weird story. I actually work for Tokyo Pop now because of how much I loved Sailor Moon in the past. Could never have imagined life taking that turn. I thought that Tokyo Pop had kind of like really ramped down its licensing in North America so that it was effective. Dead, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that it's not dead in uh, other parts of the world, but those... Germany, yeah. Yeah, Germany. One day I was just thinking like, whatever happened to Tokyo Pop? And I was like Googling the people and like reading the whole story and I was reading about how they went bankrupt. And I found the like Stu Levi, the creator of it, who was like, there, were huge, there was huge drama about him in the fan community back in like the early 2000s. Web pages made about him with like Nazi logos. <laughs> and so like people, people hated this guy. Um, so I like looked him up. I found out he was on Twitter and I was following him on Twitter and I just like one day commented, like, I was like, Oh, cute dog. And he shot me a DM. He was like, Hey, you translate. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, like we started talking and they were looking at getting licensing a, like, I don't think I'm allowed to say, but anyway, they're licensing a Disney manga. And, you know, he was like, Hey, could you do a sample translation? Like, let me know. So I went through that and like, I gave him an estimate for the cost and then never heard from the guy. And then six months later, they're like, Hey, so we're actually rebooting Tokyo pop and we need a translator. So like, you know, would you be willing to do this? I was like, okay. So I've done like 15 manga through them so far. And then they're actually doing a completely original descendants comic book, which I write the dialogue and do the art direction for. Oh, like Descendants, like the... Disney Descendants. Neat. Oh, yeah. So, no, I write the comic book for that. We've got an issue coming out at, like, next week, I think. What? Um, and it's, like, completely, like, how did that happen? You know, like, I love Tokyo Pop for introducing me to the Sailor Moon, like, manga back in, like, 1998. And then, like, 20 years later, I'm actually working for him. I'm having dinner with the guy who translated the original, like, versions of Tokyo Pop. And I'm like, where did my life go? Like, how did this happen? And and you're saying that twelve year old you wouldn't that, think you're cool. That that you probably would be impressed with. Like I'm sitting at Starbucks having coffee with like Stu Levi, the CEO of Tokyo Pop. I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> kind of talking about that the different community, maybe not specifically Tokyo Pop. Yep. But um, have you ever been outside of online fandom? Have you ever participated in real life? Have you, have you gone to like a Sailor Moon convention? I know you're in Japan. There's a lot of opportun cool opportunities there. You know, actually, I don't. Like, it's so... For me, I've always wanted to go to a convention, but I was only in America until I was in university, and there were not really any conventions in Arizona at the time. I think there's one now in Phoenix, but there weren't really any conventions in Arizona, so I didn't really have a chance. And now that I'm in Japan, like, all the conventions here, and, like, most of the events are kind of, like, the newest and the latest and the greatest. So it's really not as much of a thing. So no, I have actually never been to a convention. It's really sad. Oh, that's too bad. I know. Uh, I do have a small group of like Sailor Moon people here in Tokyo, like expats and Japanese people that I sometimes hang out with and we'll go to like Sailor Moon events together. But um, otherwise, no, unfortunately, like no conventions for me. There's one in Toronto that recently branched out a little bit more, but uh, the Toronto Sailor Moon Celebration. Right, right, right. They're in August, I think Seattle's doing a Sailor Moon Day. There's like an international Sailor Moon like day, but it's not the same day everywhere. I don't really get it. But it's it's a movement. It's not a time. It's not a place. Yeah, exactly. But I I think we should rename it because International Sailor Moon Day implies to me it's all on the same day. But anyway, well, we could make um, it International Sailor Moon Week and then just pick a different day of the week. Yeah, yeah there you go. Hey, as long as it's in the same area, I'm okay. 
one in August, another in July. I'm like, come on, guys. Come on. Talking a little bit about your your relationship with Sailor Moon again. Yeah. How did you know when you were in? You you remember going, uh, you told me about going through that hard time. What was it that mm. like hooked you? You were like, this is amazing. I want to know more of it. Because you talked about that quest to learn more. What was the what was the thing that pressed the endorphin button in your brain? You know, I think for me it was the fact that and it sounds kind of weird, but I mean, I grew up on American cartoons. I love cartoons. Like, I still, to this day, watch DuckTales, okay? Like, I, my birthday I spent watching Care Bears the movie. Like, 80s cartoons, all about that. But as much as I love all those old cartoons, one episode has nothing to do with the next. Like, there's really, there's no continuity whatsoever, um, typically in American cartoons. And that was what I just completely fell in love with, with the show, is that, like, if I missed an episode, like, I don't know what's going on in the next episode. Like, every episode connects into the next, and it's all building out of one single story, and it all actually comes to a conclusion. So you actually feel like you're seeing these characters grow, and you're seeing them become, like, greater and stronger people. And I think that's what really kind of pulled me into the series, is, like, I felt invested in them. I would say that you're quite invested now, because you're probably one of the world's biggest experts on Sailor Moon. I'm invested at some point. <laughs> Trivia. I think I checked the other day and it's like 290,000 words at this point. It's pretty disturbing when you actually think that you've written like over a quarter million words about Sailor Moon. Following a national novel writing rules, like six books. Uh, oh, 296,000. Wow. That's a lot. Um, that's like I feel like I kind of want to like run through this weekend and get that extra like three thousand eight hundred so that I can like top that and just make three thousand three hundred thousand you know for a good number. Just make a big post about it. Be like, hey, like, guess who hey, wrote three hundred thousand? <laughs> so over the past like two and a half years, I've written more than a, an obscenely long Harry Potter book. Apparently, <laughs> um, so I just need to write about seven more of these, and I'm good to go. Call it quits. Well, this is a apparently good... I say the word like a lot according to this. It's a very conversational the... style. Uh, it's like and just. Apparently, I need to stop saying that so much. <laughs> what anyway. what keeps you in? I, I follow your blog. I'm not an expert on this, but I know you blog at least like two or three times a week, digging up all sorts of miscellany interviews, tra- different translations, different questions, and you keep doing this. There seems to be no end to this. What keeps you doing this? You know, that's the funny thing is that I actually only intended to run this for one year. Uh, I planned to write 80 posts and then I was going to turn those 80 posts into an ebook. And then I was going to have it as a like nice, like, hey, it's a Sailor Moon trivia book. And I figured like 80 posts is going to be tough, but maybe I can do it. Um, that's actually why every single article title is a question is because that was going to be the like style of the book. Um, I kind of wish I didn't style every single article as a question because it's really, really difficult to actually sell every single thing I'm trying to say as a question without giving away the answer. But anyway, uh, so that's, I actually didn't even think it was going to go this long. It sounds absurd when I think about it. Actually, what I do in order to find new topics it's one, I actually buy a whole bunch of old magazines. Like I have a collection in my apartment of like old, like from 92-ish all the way up through like 97, 98, like articles, uh, magazines with interviews, with articles, with just various things like that. And I flip through them and I kind of see like various things they talk about. Sometimes it's like a little thing here or there. It's not worth writing about. Uh, sometimes I can combine two or three to come up with something. Sometimes it's worth just translating the whole interview. But more often than not, what I actually do is I just type questions into Google and I try to figure out, like, what are other people asking? And then once I find a good sounding question or a question that interests me, I try to find an answer for it. And sometimes, like, I can't. Like, I spend, like, six, seven hours just, like, going down the rabbit hole looking for an answer and I just come up with nothing. Um, I think I wrote an article about that, about, like, the failed questions that I was never able to answer. But on the other hand, like sometimes you just find you go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you'll go into like 2002 era Japanese BBSs, and you'll find people like talking about this stuff. You'll find old like Japanese Usenet listings. 
and you'll find these like weird, obscure answers to things that you've wondered about. You're like, so that's why. <laughs> and then that's where a lot of these articles come from. Your original plan may have been to take those 80 articles and make them into a book, but instead you just started a Kickstarter that had over 200 backers and almost $10,000 raised. I have no idea how that happened either. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I like, this is a discussion I've actually had with people. Um, I decided it was better to not include the articles in the book is as fascinating as they are. It's kind of a work in progress. And I feel like if I were to release a book like today, with all the answers like up about like the characters, maybe. I mean, like next week I might publish a new one that kind of like adds more to it. So it feels kind of like it's selling an incomplete collection. So at some point I would like to make a like best of articles collection, but at this point probably I think it's better to focus on something new, which is why I went for episode reviews. So you have your website and um, yes. you were talking about how you personally come up with different questions. But you also, I'm sure, get a lot of search query information from like Google Analytics. Yeah, most of it's like X-rated and like, how did you find this <laughs> blog, man? <laughs> really? Um, but on the other hand, when they're when they aren't that way, um, I actually do maybe once a month. I go through Google Analytics and I find like an entire list of all the questions, even if it's only like one or two people, and then I'll actually sort through them and I'll look for questions that people are asking. And A, I don't know how you found my blog because I never answered that question. Um, but on the other hand, I admire that Google actually threw you to this location. So I will actually take those questions and some of them will become something that I answer in the future because I think this happens probably a lot in the fandoms and the people you talk to. You don't really know. You're so into, like you're in the middle of the forest, you have no idea what other people don't know. You know, like, I mean, you'll like you'll start talking about some like really like inside baseball kind of thing. And everyone else in the room is like, what? So what is obvious to me as someone who lives in Japan and has exposure to Japanese culture and like all these other things, I've been a fan of the series for 20 years is not obvious to everybody else. So sometimes I have to take a step back and I have to think like maybe this, like what I would consider a completely obvious question might be worth actually talking about. Right, like recently you posted an article about is Ray actually a Buddhist or a Shintoist? Oh yeah, yeah, there's that. Or um, and and the dis distinction between like Buddhism and Shintoism might not mean anything if you're not in Japan. Exactly. Or um, what was another one? Um, a big one that was similar was the blood types. As someone who's been exposed to anime for like over a quarter of a century and has you know been interested in like Japanese culture, like it's obvious to me that in Japan, blood types are a big deal. But, I mean, if you've never been out of, like, America or anywhere else in the West, like, you don't realize that blood types are used as, like, a horoscope, as a way of predicting people's personalities. So um, there's a lot of that as well. Speaking of your life, speaking of your life as a fan, um, you know, you've, you've been fortunate enough to cross the, the threshold between fan and, I guess, pro-fan, being able to... Professional fan! Yeah, professional fan. Uh, being able to both uh kind of earn some of your keep with patreon but also being a translator for tokyo pop and writer and art director oh i do the art direction for it um yeah. and by art direction it's actually interesting because my wife is the one who draws the manga so I, it's very, <laughs> very awkward um because you have to strike this delicate balance because disney has the final say on all art direction and disney has some i don't know how much a I'm allowed to say, but Disney is very um, blunt with their criticism. And then I have to convey this criticism in Japanese to my wife. And it's like, well, so dear, um, about that page where those guys are doing this, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's very interesting. But uh, I do the basic uh, art direction and then she just kind of runs with it. She is a like trained illustrator, freelance illustrator. What was it like transitioning from fan to like now working as part of the industry that your fandom is part of? I don't know if it changed a lot for me personally, but it actually, it opened my eyes up to a lot of things because like, unless you're localizing manga yourself, like it's very easy to take a critical eye at the localizations that other people do. Um, 
I don't know how many translators you know. I'm going to guess not a whole lot. But there's a lot of pride built up into it. There are a lot of really nice translators. A lot of friends of mine are obviously also translators. But there's also a lot of like pride in it. So there's a like certain... <laughs> I could have done that better like going on whenever I'm looking at something. And I know for years, like when I first learned about the Japanese manga, then I started like looking at like the Tokyo Pop translations or other like chances or like the English version of Sailor Moon. The originally came out, the old like Deke dub. And then comparing it to the original Japanese, I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Like, I mean, why are you tearing this up? Like, why did you rewrite all this dialogue? I mean, like, you guys are all hacks. <laughs> but then, as happens, when you move into the industry yourself, you get insight on the, you know, I mean, some of these Japanese sentences, like either A, they just don't come out well, like written in English. B, there's simply not enough space physically on the page to write what's there. C, and this was a horrible one that I had to deal with. They're referring to Japanese wordplay that is not going to work in English. I'm a big believer that you should never have like footnotes or translator's notes in entertainment media. Because if someone has to stop, take a break from what they're doing, go wiki something, and then figure out what I'm talking about, I think the joke isn't funny anymore. And that wasn't a good translation. Actually working in the business, like I actually have gone back now and looked at the old Deke dub and looked at the old translations. And I kind of see where they're coming from now. Maybe that's not what fans are looking for nowadays. I find the Japanese, like fans of Japanese media nowadays really want like actual super literal translations. Um, but personally I disagree with, like, I think that um, the industry is moving in a direction more towards super literal because that's kind of what the fans are looking for. Like they want all the Chan Sama princess, Hime, whatever, <laughs> like attached to it. Personally, I don't care for it, but that's kind of the way the industry is moving which leads to stilted sentences. It leads to really awkward ways of speaking. And while I agree with the fans that that's literally what's being said, from a Japanese speaker's point of view, that's, they don't read stilted sentences. Like, they're reading sentences that sound totally natural. Like, Usagi talks like a 14-year-old kid, but she gets translated talking in, like, a super literal, like, 26-year-old like university graduate like it sounds so weird so over the years as i've like moved into the industry i've gained a really like strong understanding for the difficulties that the translators face in localizing it another story that gets a little bit awkward is that i had to translate a manga that the target audience was like early preteen so like probably at the, i want to say between nine and 12 maybe nine and 13 maybe age range and there was a scene where a adult male had kidnapped this young girl and he didn't say the words exactly, but in Japanese, he was basically saying he was going to rape her. Um, and I just, I just couldn't write it. I know a, he didn't say it technically. So I'm going to argue that he never, he never said it technically, but like looking at the target audience and maybe this is just me putting my morals on it, but like, I start to look back at those decisions that some of the old like Tokyo pop or other translators made. And like, there's a certain line where you've got to consider that the culture is different and there's like some things that aren't cool. And so I totally wrote around that line because I just didn't think it was something that the target audience would be best exposed to. And so that long story short to answer your question of like coming and working in the industry personally has taught me a lot about like, it's it's a tough job and there's no right answer in a lot of cases. The only information I've gotten about localization is um, there's a, a, a blogger, Clyde Mandolin. Yeah. Oh my God. He's great. He also lives in Tucson, Arizona now, my hometown. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. I feel like we're buddies. Even though like he probably doesn't know me or anything, but I feel like we're buddies. Yeah. Well, and it's just fascinating because going through legends of localization, it's like, Oh, Hey, have you ever heard of the four heavenly Kings? And you're, you're like, I have. Why Why is that a thing? Well, let me tell you about what that means in Japan and how it gets translated in many, many different ways. And I think it should. You know, that's what I think is great about it, is that in order to make it more appropriate for each situation, it really does need to get translated differently. And that's, I think, where 
fans and the people in the industry like have a mismatch in their expectations. It's just what makes it difficult, I think. I guess it's a balance of as the people view it, consuming the content become more familiar with the content, the mm. they have more context. Exactly. Then you're balancing like, is this for people who have never seen this before or people who have never seen anime before? Or is it is it uh, supposed to be like, I don't know, you're watching uh, like Shirabako. It's like we're talking about animation. So right. you like too bad. We're not we don't have time to get into like you need some context on this. Oh, yeah, because there's some points like you can't just hold your hand for every little thing. But on the other hand, and this is a thing that I think not just the Sailor Moon community, but the anime community in general has a problem with it. It's gating. It's that we kind of have our own special knowledge here and we want to keep it really like exclusive. So I feel like there is some sort of like intentional like divide in making things more difficult to understand, which kind of increases the barrier to entry for new fans. So I always kind of find a little bit unfortunate. Tying things back to earlier where you'd mentioned, you know, you had two ideas, your Q&A, one which you ended up going with and the one to interview people. On the plus side, uh, it's good that you didn't go down that avenue because as that is what I do, I have learned a lot that a lot of fandom is gatekeeping that really isn't necessary and oh uh, yeah, yeah people being jerks to each other yes yes it's a very very familiar story but there's also on the other hand like i've met a lot of super amazing people uh so i, I want to say like you remember the jerks but the good people far outweigh the bad oh absolutely but you still remember the jerks it's just interesting that gatekeeping in particular comes up as a recurring theme you're like oh it's just this fandom it's like no people no people have this interesting balance where they want to be able to say hey i am a fan of this thing but i don't want to give away too much but also i don't want you to know there's this like little wink and nod to let you into the club kind of thing pretty much i'm sure it's like for every community like probably even like drone community (laughs) probably has their own like bizarre gatekeeping going on. And it's just a part of like people being fans, I'm sure. But it, it's unfortunate, I think. And I kind of wish there was a way to like ease people into it. Um, and that's why I'm always really happy when I hear from people who are actually new to the series and like, it's like, Hey, you know, I just started watching on Hulu and I found out about your blog and I'm like, that's so awesome. There are some people reading your blog who literally did not exist when the series was airing or when you were watching this, the series that uh, hurts a little uh, bit. Yes. <laughs> I would like, I'm in the same boat as you, I, I think. Yeah. And I was wondering like, how many people is that? Is that a large percentage of the people coming to your blog? People who have never, or who are only recently coming into Sailor Moon. Uh, so unfortunately, as we all know, Google analytics will only give you from 18 and older, but you know, I think we can still, uh, get at least some sort of demographic information. And what I find really interesting is that the site has a huge drop-off. So about 46% of all of my readers are between 25 and 34, which is exactly what I would expect. Uh, It's pretty much, that's me, you know, between 25 and 34. Uh, This is probably the people who started watching on Toonami. Uh, It's probably the people who started watching it when it first started hitting air. And they were all of various ages. But then surprisingly, 42% are between 18 and 24. And that I find really amazing. Because 24 years old puts you born at, what, 1994? Uh, that yeah. sounds right, yeah. Yep, Uh, Which means that saying you're watching Sailor Moon and like, I want to say it went off Toonami 2002-ish. Don't quote me on that. Um, but that means they were like eight years old when it went off the air. So like, Maybe they were strongly invested in it, but that was the that's at the oldest end. At eighteen, you were born in two thousand, so like you weren't even like conscious of what you were doing when it was off the air. So I find it amazing, and there are obviously people who are younger than that. And then of course you get to the thirty five and forty four crowd, and that's like nine percent. Like nobody, nobody reads it after thirty five. I don't know how that happens. You might have just gotten into other things that came before Sailor Moon. And probably also like moving on with your life, like different priorities and things like that. So right. I think a lot of fandoms are like that though. I can't remember who I was talking with, but they talked about how 
you know, fandoms are in a lot of different ways, like relationships. And some of those last like forever. Some of them are a temporary thing, like extremely temporary. And some of them last with you for a while, but then they, they change or they become something different. And I don't know how much of that is like, well, I've now grown up and I'm putting this away or I've now grown up and I'm showing this to a new generation or I imagine it's different for all sorts of different fans. Probably. And also like, as you move on, like you got your own kids and stuff like that, and, like your priorities change. Um, but also I feel like, and this may just be me. I don't know what it's like in America. Cause I don't live in America anymore, but I feel like this new generation is going to be different from previous generations. And that at least like my parents or like my wife's parents, it was very uncommon to see like those people of that generation be like super obsessed with like building models or watching cartoons or things like that. But I feel like that's become more socially acceptable for our generation. Kind of feel like you're going to start seeing more older fans as we go forward because society's kind of been more acceptable of even adults having fan obsessions. Um, but that might just be my own self-serving belief. I think we're definitely seeing that. I, as a person who's goes to a bunch of different conventions, I see a lot more people, I mean, definitely my age, but also people mm. older than me. Right. Right. Uh, I was wondering um, if, if, uh, if you noticed a big difference from when you were in America to moving to Japan in terms of attitudes towards fandom. Uh, I think it's definitely gotten more accepting. Like again, like the number of conventions has just skyrocketed since, you know, I first like, you know, was actually starting to get interested in this. And I think the internet has helped a lot because it helps connect people who have those interests. Um, like even like Comic-Con, I remembered it was basically something people would laugh at and mock back in like the late nineties. Like, I mean, yeah, it was like huge for people who are into it, but people who weren't into it. was like, oh, look at those geeks going to Comic-Con. Uh, whereas now I kind of feel like even the vast majority of people are kind of like, oh, so that's a comic convention. Huh? That's interesting. Especially with like the Marvel movies being so successful on in the theaters and things like that. So I kind of feel like more hobbies are being more accepted nowadays, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure what it's like for other people, but at least that's what I'm seeing. Except maybe this is a little bit different because I, I don't know what your day to day is like. I work in an office. Full yes, I do. Okay. You also same here. Office. Perfect. Do you bring your fandom into your work life or is that like you leave the house and the fandom stays in the house? So that's an interesting question because for years and years and years, I basically, if anyone ever asked me, I'd be like, and a moo and a never heard of it. And I, I swear to God, I didn't even know what it was, but that's more by virtue of the fact that I'm a white guy living in Japan. And basically everybody assumes that you're here in Japan because of anime. So in order to like break out of that, like kind of, I don't want to say stigma per se, but break out of that um, like image, I would kind of just play, lay it low. But other things like, I mean, I have like rescue rangers, like toys and figurines, like all over my desk. I've got Pokemon like all over my desk. Uh, Sailor Moon is a little bit more of a kind of like, because I'm a man and these are 14 year old girls in short skirts. Like, for the sake of workplace, like, I want to say peace, I kind of avoid, like, Sailor Moon stuff at work because it kind of, you know, could give a, an odd impression, I think. Um, maybe I'm overly sensitive about that. But that was one of the problems with writing the book is that I had to decide, am I going to put my real name on this and thus put myself through Google? So anyone who looks me up from this point forward will therefore know everything? Or do I want to pen name it? Um, and in the end, I decided to use my real name. I guess that's kind of like earlier talking about context in that, like, I know that you're a person who's doing this research about a show right. that's really influential for like young women and for girls. Mm. And it was written by a really influential author and mangaka, like Naoko mm. Takeuchi. Right. But if you don't know that, it's like, yeah, why does this, this 30 plus year old guy <laughs> like all these 14 year old girls? That's creepy. What exactly. So like, it's more just, because, I mean, in Japan, probably everybody knows the series anyway, so it's not so bad. But there's still that kind of creeper vibe. Like, I'm going to be honest, if I was walking around the office 
And I saw some guy with a bunch of like, you know, Sailor Moon figures, like posing in all sorts of bizarre positions on his desk. I'd, I would kind of like look out of the side of my eye and go like, really? So, yeah, I think like there's a there's a line where you kind of have to like play cool. And that's why I really wish they sold more Sailor Moon goods that were, I want to, I guess, acceptable for men to like run around with. Like, I mean, it's all like super hot pink and as cool as that may be. Um, it's kind of hard for me to like live in my day to day life with like I mean couldn't you have like an understated understated like black shirt with like a tuxedo mask logo on it or something like that would be cool I'd buy that even though people are a lot more accepting of different fandoms and and people and different ways of life there's still this like well you're a guy so we kind of why yeah you know. it's like there's implications if if you wear so, it's like I have this really cool hot pink Sailor Moon shirt and it's like yeah but that gives a different message. And I guess we, we've still got a long way to go. Exactly. And especially in corporate life, like I work in like corporate, you know, like there's, it just takes one person to like, have like have that weird opinion. And then you get your annual reviews and stuff like that. So it's like, it's just not worth the hassle. Pokemon on the other hand, everybody's <laughs> I've got like all the starters, Pokemon's like lined up on my desk. So that's fine. I mean, they've designed those games. To work, like, literally to work generally. Yeah. Generation. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's cool with Pokemon. So there's, that's fine. Yeah. Sailor Moon gets you into anime. You're already a huge fan of 80s cartoons. Sailor mm-hmm. Moon opens up the anime gateway, the manga gateway. Where did I, that lead you? Oh, God. Um, so, like, after Sailor Moon, when I learned that it was this thing called anime, that basically just opened the floodgates for, I want to say like a decade of my life. Like it was all anime all the time. I was really lucky to have an anime store in town that actually rented out videos. So I didn't have to deal with the like insanity that most people talk about of like $30 per tape in 1998 money, where it had two episodes. And that was horrible, by the way, it was was not fun back in those days. Whereas now you can just like download whatever you want and have fun. So I would just like go to this anime store and I would just grab like five different tapes. I had no idea what they were. Like they could be interesting. Maybe they aren't. And I would just watch through them all, absorb whatever I could find. And that was a huge part of my life for like, I want to say about a decade or so. To be totally honest, like I don't really watch modern anime anymore. I still watch older stuff. Still absolutely love the older stuff, but the things that made me fall in love with Japan, made me fall in love with anime in general, it was that style of like late 90s, early 2000s anime that I kind of feel like has changed over the years. So I don't really follow it closely anymore, but um, still in love with the old stuff. It's amazing. Do you think you'll kind of instill that love of the old stuff uh, in your your child? Um, my child is doomed. Uh, just to put it- <laughs> put it lightly um i always tell people this like my wife literally draws like bl like boys love like sometimes 18 plus like dojinshi um in between her like actual professional freelance work she goes to like anime and manga conventions and sells like dojinshi she is like a hardcore like anime fan like she while she works she's a freelance lives uh, works at home has her iPad up next to her and watches you like series after series all week. So she's like all up on the anime. And I write a blog about Sailor Moon. So there's no way my child would grow up normal. She's basically doomed. Um, so yes, I assume she's probably going to pick up something about anime at some point. Uh, I've just, I feel so bad because I know she's going to go to kindergarten one day and her teacher is going to be asked like, what's that boy doing to the other boy? And then I'm going to get called into the office. <laughs> I'm like, well, her mother draws. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> that just reminds me of, um, there's a manga I'm reading, My High School Life is a Fudanshi. Oh, oh, God, yes. And uh, the one of the characters, their whole family is into BL. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And um, that's evidently not your family, but that's what I imagine it's like for your, for your child. It's like growing up in this environment where like fandom is inescapable. Basically, yes. And uh, it's actually pretty similar to what I come home to. Because, like, I will literally come home from work uh, with a baby in tow because I pick the kid up from daycare. And they're, like, covering the sofa 
I've got these art books of like guys and like these really lewd poses holding on to other guys. And I'm like, okay. Okay, cool. So that's what we were doing today. But uh, yeah, the kid's going to have an interesting life. I do have one more question and it kind of leads into your life. Unsurprisingly, Mm -hmm. we talked about your past. We talked about, your parents getting separated and falling in love with Sailor Moon. We talked about mm-hmm. how that kind of sets your life on a trajectory into the world of anime and into the world of translation and, and all of the different opportunities that affords what's next. Is there an end to tuxedo unmasked? What I would like to do next uh, is actually, I've talked about this for a while is um, I would like to help Japanese fans get more exposure in the West. Um, or not even just fans, but Japanese creators um, get more exposure into the West. Because I feel like the Japanese fan community is really fascinating. I've been lucky to have met with, like actually had like coffee with, or um, even just exchange messages with a lot of like Japanese fan artists, a lot of Japanese um, like cosplayers. And just that language barrier is so hard to overcome. So what I'd really like to do is find a way that I could help bridge that gap between the Japanese creators and the Western fans. I mean, while you can still discover them on Twitter, like it's hard to have that conversation. And it's also like the culture is different. So it's really hard to like get these people out in front of the right people and to the right fans. Cause I feel like they would have a lot of like potential to actually go and be successful if they were just able to reach out to fans. So I would like to try to come up with some way to, work between Japanese creators and Western fans. Uh, I briefly talked with a group of Japanese cosplayers about trying to release a like cosplay picture collection um, like in the West. And so we talked about that for a while. I was actually trying to put that project together, but I had to put it on hold. So that's kind of what I would like to do in the future. Uh, the blog, on the other hand, will probably go on until I die. Uh, which, uh, Hopefully will be a while, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, I always joke that it, like probably I'll be seeing the next Crystal movie with my child because it's been on like hiatus for, I don't know, like two years now. So God knows when it'll be done. Uh, I would like to uh, meet an interview with more people. Uh, right now, I only focus on the anime and the manga, but I would like to talk more about the live action TV series that was in like 2004, 2004, I think. So I'd like to actually talk more about that series. I would like to, if I could, meet with and interview some of the actors and actresses that worked on that is kind of where I'd like to take things in the future. Like actually meeting with people who are involved in the production and getting their side of the story. Have you ever had the chance to meet Naoko Takeuchi? No, I have not. But I have friends who've seen her at the musicals. Okay. Um, I did actually get to sit down and do an interview with uh, Junichi Sato, who is the director of the first and second season of the anime, uh, which is just an absolutely amazing, like, whoa, like, how did this happen kind of experience for me? Like, I'm literally buying coffee for the guy who directed Sailor Moon. And that was a completely mind-blowing experience. But I hope to, in the future, like, actually reach out and get in touch with more of those people. As soon as you mentioned, uh, Junichi or uh, Sato. Sato as like, right. but what about Ikahara? God, I would love to get in touch with that guy. He's so, <laughs> he's so weird, but like in a good way, but also in a weird way. Like he's so divisive amongst fans. And I think that's, what's so interesting about him. Like some people just like wish death upon the guy what? and then other people praise the ground that he walks on. I'm more of in the middle. Uh, I think he's a really creative person. I think he does some really great stuff. But some of the stuff he does, I'm like, really? Really? Like, uh, I don't know, like Super S was kind of, Supers? Supers. Uh, was kind of like, I don't know, women can't move, their hands to their side, dudes sticking their heads in their chest. Like, I was like, I don't, oh, I don't know, it's getting kind of <laughs> getting kind of uncomfortable here, man. Um, he's, he's an interesting guy. Uh, so I would love to sit down with him um, one of these days and talk to him. Well, hopefully that day comes soon. Yeah, oh, need to start building those connections. Before we wrap things up today, uh, is there anything that you'd like to tell the internet about that we haven't already mentioned today? 
more than we have. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess for me, as odd as it is, uh, one thing that I've always tried to do through Twitter, um, through like social media, and even through the blog occasionally, I don't talk about myself much on the blog. That's intentional, not because I'm private, but because I really dislike blogs that like are really themed. And then somebody's talking about their cat. Like, am I Thanks, but I don't follow your blog to hear about your cat. So I keep it like really strict. Like everything on the blog is only related to the articles for a reason. But to go back to your question, um, on social media, I really, I try to encourage people like we need more people out there creating. We need more people out there like putting their opinions, their thoughts, and like their observations out there because everybody has their own valuable outlook on the series, on their own hobbies, even unrelated to Sailor Moon. And I feel like in recent times, the internet has kind of gone to a wiki approach. Like, everything's a wiki out there. We've got a wiki about this anime. We've got a wiki about anime in general. And everything is going for a more generalist approach. And I feel like we need more of those, like, early 90s fan sites. Like, I feel like we need more of people's, like, individual opinions. And I try to just impress upon people, like, I'm not special, okay? Like, I'm just some guy who decided to start a blog. And I spend a lot of time reading and researching, but shy of the like Japanese stuff, like, there's really nothing that I'm doing here that nobody else can. And I really want other people to know that they, if you have an idea, if you have something that you feel like you should like write about it, that you want to say like, make a blog, make a website, make something like go out and share it. Like people are going to want to hear your opinion. And I think that's great. And I highly encourage people to do it. Uh, so I guess this is basically what I just want to tell people. We need more fans out there. You know, we need more people like going and saying what they think. It's interesting. I, I agree with you going out there and like gushing about the things that they love and why they love them and not just like, okay, we're going to talk about Gundam today. And this is unit zero four two five. It has a 50 millimeter, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's all very wiki nowadays, which I think, like, I don't know if I would have become such of a fan if I had started nowadays, because back when I was looking it up, it was all like Sailor Pluto's greatest shrine to the outer soldiers. And it was awful, and it had animated GIFs or GIFs, depending on which side of the argument you fall on. And it was, it was pretty brutal, but it was the passion that I fell in love with. It was the passion of the other fans. And like, I want to see more of that passion nowadays. And also, as I'm sure you also run into with the idea of making a podcast, I'm sure people ask you about making a podcast. And it's very similar with blogging. Is I've had people ask me in the past, like, so how do you make a blog successful that people read? And I was like, well, step one is that you write a blog about something that you're passionate about and that you're okay if absolutely nobody reads it. And he asked, well, what's step two? And there's, there's literally no step two. Like, you absolutely should never start a creative project assuming people will read, listen to, or otherwise engage in it. Um, and that's okay. You know, like, you just get your opinion out there. Like, people will find it. And you might not find, like, thousands of hundreds of people. Like, even if you find, like, two or three people and you get actually reach those people, like, that's enough, in my opinion. That's definitely one thing that I've learned doing the podcast. As long as I'm having a good time, as long as I'm talking to cool people like yourself. It's all that matters. That, that, yeah. Would it be cool if other things happened? Absolutely. But as long as you're having a good time and learning something or meeting people, as long as you're getting something out of it for you, the rest doesn't really matter. It's really not important at the end of the day. I think people get caught up on that too much. Um, and that's what stops them is they think like, well, I don't want to write a blog that only 200 people read. And like, <laughs> well, guess what I did for a long time. Wow. You know, only I mean, 200 like, people are reading that. Oh, so you know, sad. That must be tough. You know, like, I mean, guess what happened to me for a long time? I mean, that's like, I would write articles and be like, 40 people read that one. Great. That was, uh, six hours of my life. Um, but in the end of the day, like, I mean, that's 40 people read it. You know, it's awesome. Like, if 40 people wanted to know what I had to say, the blog has really picked up recently. Um, so that's really amazing. Uh, I still, like, I'm shocked that people actually read this thing. But um, you can't do it for the numbers. And I think that's something that people get hung up on. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, Jason. No, I mean, I think for reaching out. It's like, I mean, again, like, I've been, like, following 
not religiously, but on topics that are interested me and that I've heard about. Like I've been following your podcast for a long time now. So like when I saw your name pop up in the inbox, I was like, somebody this is like one of those like you've been punk shows. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm googling the email address. I'm like, is this legit? <laughs> like, because I actually I didn't know about your podcast. No way. So no, I was really honored to have you reach out like this and actually have a chance to talk. To you. Really cool. Well, thank you. That's about it for this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And because G is not here, uh, I will have to fill in for him and say, until next time. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.